everybody welcome to the 315th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and they got my man sage chilling here we uh we took i asked dustin hey can we wait a day to record so i can actually be in my apartment so this podcast will actually sound nice so uh i'm thankful for him for uh being allowing me to uh speak into a mic and not absolutely roast and toast my laptop I'm, I'm i'm on my desktop right now and i'm feeling really good about the quality of this podcast and what it's gonna be is that is that all you're thankful for i mean that seems like a easy gesture <laughs> I mean, on my part i'm thankful for you and my mom um that's, that's high that's high company for me <laughs> I'm, I'm in that upper room <laughs> my mom's the saint um yeah i i mean I'm I'm happy that people are going to hear some uh, good quality holy backboard. When I'm at my mom's house, the quality goes down immensely. So <laughs> I got to think about the listeners. They got to hear me and my ums in crystal clear clarity. Oh my God, I got to say, you look you look like you you are just ready for Christmas with the the background lighting and the Christmas tree and all that stuff. We are ready to go got the lights up our front porch is kind of a could use some work needs a little bit of love but we don't really have the time or the funds to do it so olga's like screw it let's just put more christmas lights on that front porch to take away from what it looks like uh and we went and got our tree on saturday and it was really cool that the people uh, at at the lot near um, Fang in North Portland, they loaded it up on the car, tied it up with the twine. I mean, super easy in and out. And you know, I got myself a workout in. It is a large tree, noble fir. So if you're looking for a Christmas tree, I do recommend the noble fir. It's not gonna shake and get needles everywhere. It's not gonna dry out, so you can get it right in early December, and it's gonna be good through the new year. And it smells wonderful. So that, that those are my Christmas tree recommendations. But yeah, I, I absolutely love Christmas, love the holidays. Like basically once the calendar flips to September, like I start to feel the fall and then you're getting college football and then you're getting training camp and it's Halloween and you've got the NBA season and then Thanksgiving and you got the college football bowl games and you got Christmas and it's just like, it's it's the these four months are are, are really what um, I think are the you know how you sometimes you say you save the best for last when you're eating food. Well, this was the best for last in terms of the calendar year. So, um, well, you don't really, get to watch Andy Dalton throw uh, passes for your NFL team, so I, I'm sure you're happy for that. You do have to you you are in control of what you consume this time of year, so. Well, uh, I mean, you could always turn off your terrible NFL team. And I'm telling you right now, the holiday baking champions. Oh, I watched uh, that. I watched that with my mom while I was in yeah. Bedford. Oh, yeah. It's uh, the, the like 15 year old me would fucking hate me if <laughs> I didn't watch the Saints when they were on national TV. You know, like 
the old me would have fucking kicked my ass for being like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. The old version of me would stop me for thinking this way. So, yeah, um, the Saints suck and it hurts me. We mature. We find different things I mean, that make us happy. You still, you see the Deuce McAllister uh, flag behind you, me, bro. It's... You, you, you still got love for him, but it, it doesn't mean like. <laughs> are Are you talking to me about my Saints love? Like you, sh- you're going to be talking to me about my Blazers uh, love. <laughs> they, it, it, it won't hurt you if you don't watch. <laughs> hey, I have. I've kind of maneuvered my fandom in that way. I used to think like, oh, you got to sit through everything, all of the crap. And if it's terrible, you have to sit through and watch it. I'm done with that. Like nobody knows what type of fan you are except for yourself. You're you're going to be happy when you, when your team wins. You don't have to be miserable and sit through agony or something that's just not entertaining. Like one you know, the NFL plays 17 games, NBA plays 82, God knows baseball plays 162. If there's just a dud of a game, go find something else that's going to make you happy. If you're not, if, if you can't find one ounce of joy in what you're watching, flip the channel or go do something else because it's, life is short. It's just not worth it. It doesn't make you any better of a fan I, I, than yeah, the next person. You know, it's crazy. Like, I think this year I've like, Obviously, I love basketball. I talk about it. And then, you know, all the other stuff I do surrounding the sport. But if I hear people talking about the game, I'm not going to talk about it. You know, like th- this game is important, but it's not. It's, I don't need to alienate myself as like a complete and total nerd about this sport. I fucks with it, but I can't let it fuck. I can't let it fuck my day or emotions up. Like a classic example, 18-year-old Dustin is wearing Oregon Ducks gear no matter how badly they they get beat down, right? Oregon absolutely choked away the game against Oregon State up by three scores, 17 going into literally in the fourth quarter, should have salted that one away. 99 out of 100 times they win that one. Well, what happens? They have a collapse basically on the scale of a game seven for the Blazers in 2000. What do I do? I don't wear anything Oregon related for at least seven to 10 days. I, I don't want people to, you know, give me the, oh, I'm sorry that that was a tough one, oh, wasn't yeah. it? I don't need the small talk. I don't need the looks. I'm not, I'm not looking for the attention. Doesn't mean I'm not a Ducks fan, but that was miserable. And I am not going to compound on that misery. So we need to collectively as a society move forward. You don't, if you put in your dues as a fan, you should already know. You shouldn't be questioning whether you have or not, right? So you don't need to make it unnecessarily more difficult for something that should should bring you more joy than despair. Basketball is supposed to be fun, or, or sports are supposed to be fun in general. I know we were talking about football quite a bit, but sports is supposed to, is supposed to be fun, and basketball is supposed to be fun. And uh, if it's not fun... You don't need to care about it as much. But up here in the Row City, the Blazers went two and two this week. I mean, talk about choking away a game up 18 in the third quarter against a starless Los Angeles Clippers team. It was the revenge of Norman Powell as he led the comeback charge as the Clippers on national TV take down the Blazers 118 to 112. 
And then the Lakers on the next night in Los Angeles took a semi-close game and broke it open in the fourth quarter, winning by 19 points, uh, 128 to 109. But then Portland bounced back for two really solid wins, first on the road in Utah without Damian Lillard uh, behind an incredibly hot performance by Anthony Simons, defeated the Jazz, won at 16 to 111, and then had pretty much the most gimme of all gimme games. And I think Portland would take that given that it was a back-to-back. No, they played the Pacers without their star point guard, Tyrese Halliburton. Damian Lillard returned. So that compounds Portland's um, momentum. They take care of business with ease, 116 to 100. Sage, the Blazers are now 13 and 11 on the season. They've won two straight. They are seventh in the Western Conference, so on the cusp of getting out of the play-in. And now they have a little bit of time uh, at home with their families. You know, they were on the road for for the Thanksgiving break, and now they have three games at home uh, over the span of six days, or excuse me, 11, they, they basically got 11, 11, 10 to 11 days before they have to hit the road again. And it's going to be a doozy of a road trip in Texas throughout the Midwest, but they've, they've got three games at home. Um, what was the, what was the best thing you saw this week? It's gotta be Damian Lillard actually playing basketball. Like Ant, Ant and Jeremy have been excellent and Yusuf's been really, really serviceable, but to see the guy that, you know, we've talked about for eight plus years do his thing and, actually play basketball at a pretty high level hitting threes. I, I know that Jeremy and Ant have been great, but just to see old faithful do his thing is it was, it was great to me. Well, clearly it's, it's good to see Dame return to the court. You're always worried at this point of, of a super. Oh, I don't think he was, career. I don't think he was healthy at all. I think he was. Just I mean, playing. he had to have been healthy if he, if he was playing. I think there was just some some rust from being off of the court for you know two plus weeks. But you're always at the point at a at a player that has had this much longevity, this much you know. It, he's he's basically like a car that has two hundred two two hundred fifty thousand miles. Like you don't know if he is at his peak or if he's already surpassed his peak, like you're already questioning that, you know, this season and last and, you know, once an extremely durable player who it would make headlines if he missed games has now played consecutive seasons where he's on street clothes more than he is in, in the trailblazers uniform, you know, clearly last year he fixed up that core injury and, you know, we all anticipated him coming into this season uh, fully healthy, fully conditioned for the first time in, in quite a while. But unfortunately, whether it's overexertion or it's father time catching up, he's had that nagging injury on his right calf. And that can be pretty problematic considering the Achilles lies in that area and that is that is really one injury that not many athletes can can return from. So you're you're really cautious with Damian Lillard right now. So I, I get the optimism that it's great that Damian returned. You know, he came back 
Um, I thought it was wonderful that they didn't push him too far, only played 32 minutes. I really think that should be his max for the season. There's a lot of backcourt talent on this roster. He doesn't need to be playing more than 32 minutes a night. Uh, but he was a team high plus 30. And I think that stat stood out to me because everything felt calm, cool, and collected with Lillard on the floor. You don't see a lot of forced shots. Uh, you saw the offense really get to their spots. You know, Indiana was having to pay attention to Nurkic down low. They were having, having to pay that attention. plus playmaker and decision maker is huge. Yeah, you're you're having to worry about Simons catching and shooting. Jeremy Grant could have gone isolation. Like everyone had to keep their head on a swivel, and it just opened it up. And as a superstar does, it made things so much easier for everyone else. Uh, you know, seven of sixteen from the floor, almost fifty percent. Did shoot fifty percent from downtown. Uh, six assists, four rebounds. He did have the four turnovers, which is to be expected. But, you know, I think that was a really solid comeback by by Dame. And I think he holds the key to the Blazer season. Like if we're talking about getting a top six seed, which is now the goal for for really every NBA team, um, it's 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 going to be on his his shoulders. Um Fair or not, I mean, I think it is fair because he is the franchise face of the franchise and all teams go as their superstar player goes. But if he's able to stay healthy, it kind of feels like this team has enough to get into that top six. Like we, we, we've discussed this. You look at the teams ahead of them. They all have their warts. The Clippers, they, they can't stay healthy. The Kings, who knows how they play post all-star break when it isn't just a light the beam you know, fun story, compelling, the shit starts to get real and pressure starts to mount. How are they going to perform? Half-court basketball, that happens too. Yeah, Denver has injury concerns, history on their side uh, in two of their big three. Uh, Memphis is still a young team. New Orleans is still a young team. Um, Phoenix, who knows what they're, I mean, Chris Paul hasn't looked like Chris Paul. Cam Johnson's Chris Paul hasn't played in weeks. Exactly. Even when he was playing, he wasn't looking like CP. I know they're still leading the West, but they're not a team that I don't think anybody is fearing. Golden State cannot win a damn road game. Two and 10 on the road. Minnesota, Carl uh, Anthony Towns is out for damn near two months. Uh, so basically, long story short, the West is open. And even though Portland has their own boards, the presence of Damian Lillard, like he's done throughout his entire tenure in Portland, has covered up those pretty mm. superbly to where you're like, hmm, I don't, I don't, I don't see anything. You know, that that makeup is working just fine. And you can kind of see him out there. And my hope with this coaching staff is that with with Dame back, you can really take some of the burden off of him. You have proven scorers. And Yusuf, Jeremy, and Amphrony, you have proven ball handlers on the team that can bring the ball up the court, that can initiate the offense. You don't need to be riding him the 37, 38, 39, 40 minutes on a consistent basis. Like I think Damian is at a point in his career where he probably doesn't need to be practicing as much as the the other younger players. Like to me, right now, this is a LeBron and Cleveland situation. Like you really need to monitor how long he is playing because Sage, you're paying this man $60 million into his mid to late thirties. He's only 32 years old right now. So this is an investment and 
you Portland really needs to be cautious and cognizant of how many miles they're trying to put on him. He's got to have, he needs, he needs to have enough gas in the tank to get to the final destination, which is, you know, doing work in the postseason. And we've seen throughout his career, he's kind of ran out of gas, whether it was in the second round or in the Western conference finals, like he's just had to do so much to carry all of that cargo to the, to, to, to where they were going their destination and he hasn't had a lot of help. Well, the, the, the help is there now. And it's that's the the main thing I'm going to watch is his minutes per game. Uh, I, I think that the Blazers need to be really smart with this and not not wear him out because age if they wear him out, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about this in the spring as another one and done for the Blazers when I do think their ceiling is a little bit higher than that. But I think that what we've seen with Chauncey Billups this year and last is. A, a short-sightedness that thinking about the long-term future of a franchise really isn't in Chauncey's mind because of the the amount of minutes that he's been playing them. And the fact is, Dame and Anthony move a lot. So they probably are tops in the leagues in miles ran, plus 37, 38, 40 minutes in a competitive game. I just don't know if Chauncey Billups has the foresight or the coaching staff or the brain trust even to be like, this game in in December doesn't really matter. We don't need to play Ant and Dame 38 minutes, 40 minutes in a competitive game in December. So as much as I would love, I agree with everything you're saying about limiting minutes. I just don't know if Chauncey Billups has it in him to, to not play Damian Lillard 40 minutes. Like in that game against the Pacers, if, if Tyrese Halliburton was there, you know, his ass is playing 36 minutes coming off of a, off of an injury, extreme circumstances. Like they had a second round point guard running offense. They had, you know, this is not the Pacers team that you, that, is competing for a champ or not a championship, but at least a playoff spot. This is not them. This is a really disgusting version of the team that, I mean, last week when we were talking about it, I was excited. I, I talked about the rotation of the Pacers. Well, when I was talking about the rotation, uh, the transcendent point guard was there. I know Chauncey's playing him 38. We can't afford to do it, but I, I just don't see a way with all the information that we have that he lightens that load without like, president of basketball operations being like, yo, you need to chill. I just, I just don't think that a Damien's down for that as like a competitor. Well, I think he needs to be like, so when we talk about players and I'll use Allen Iverson as an example, you always read about him, you know, cursing out Larry Brown for taking him out. And it's like, Oh, what a great competitive spirit. I kind of see the opposite. Like you need players to be competitive, but you need players to be smart. Right. You you need players to, to trust in not just themselves, not just their teammates, but trust in the organization and in the culture. And, and I agree with you. I, I don't believe that that culture, the Spurs culture, so to speak, has been in place where it is expected that they are going to take care of you, that they have your best interests like Portland plays their players a, a ton of minutes. Anthony Simons is second in the league in minutes right now at over 37. Jeremy Grant is 16th. He plays 36 minutes a night. Uh, Josh Hart, I don't know if he has 
And looking at all these names, and he kind of stands out as an outlier because he should not be playing 36 minutes a night. But here you are. He's well, and minutes. just think about, uh, did you watch the Blazers feed for the last game? They so were. I watch. Oh, well, no, I was at the game. Oh, you were at the game. So they were like championing him for playing when I think the smart move would have been. I did hear the radio. Recover. I did hear the radio, uh, the fifth quarter show on the drive home. And, and Chauncey was on the post game saying, oh, he's a warrior. He's yeah, playing. that type of mentality. Like You don't need that mentality for a December 4th matchup against the Indiana Pacers without Tyrese Halliburton. There is nothing on the line for this game, Sage. I, I, I am guaranteeing you nothing would have changed if Portland had won this game or oh. if they had lost this game. But if and Josh Shane Sharp won, needs developing. If Josh Hart gets a bum ankle and now he's side, if he's sidelined for two weeks, is it worth it? No. no. So I, that's where I agree with you that I don't think the culture has been in place. But Damian Lillard, every time he's asked, I want to win a championship with Portland. Okay, great answer. How do you get there? It has to be you, Dame. Like you have to be at your best. So I think he needs to start maybe setting some boundaries with the coaching staff saying, hey, you're pushing me too far. Like, yes, he is so old school. And I mean, he played through that abdominal pain for five years, five years, which looking back is is malpractice. Yeah. What are you doing? Like, so you're right. It has the potential, I think, to end in disaster. But again, if Jody Allen and Joe Cronin want to make an investment matter and and not have the worst contract in the league. They are the ones that are stepping in and saying, okay, we need to monitor minutes because we need Dame to perform at a high level for another half decade. That's not going to happen if Chauncey runs him into the ground and Dame's, you know, all along for the ride that says, yeah, let's go. Like I I get being a competitor and it's, I would rather have to tone someone down than turn them up, but there has to be some sort of, awareness on both the coach and the players part to say we're doing this for all parties best interest like it just has to be there and i think that's one of the reasons the spurs dynasty was a success because timmy was cool taking you know a little bit of time off manu was okay coming off the bench like Kawhi up until basically the 2018 season Kawhi was on board with everything they were doing like it was, I mean, you truly see the culture come through and really put the finishing touches on an entire organization. I mean, it's, I feel like Blazers culture is very, very, very beneficial to some and then very, very shitty to others. Like, I think young players just don't play with with Chauncey Billups. Like, um, Tara and I had a conversation about it. Where, yeah, Shaden Sharp plays, but he doesn't do anything except play defense when he plays. He doesn't account for any statistics. He doesn't shoot. He doesn't rebound, which I think he should be a good, really good rebounder, but he doesn't. He doesn't pass because he doesn't get the ball. So are those minutes really beneficial to Shaden Sharp when he's just sitting in a corner and not getting the ball and only playing for, like, he's playing zone defense, so it's... Like it's even hard to develop playing zone defense, and then obviously with Yusuf Nurkic, like it, it's super rough for him to get consistent run, even though he dominates against those 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 wings. But then or, or against those bigs, but then you see Josh Hart or Justice Winslow have unlimited leash. So like even what we're starting to build with the culture of what Chauncey Billups is 
uh creating it's like it doesn't seem fair to everybody like if if you are that dog you get those minutes but if you're not you don't have that personality that chauncey digs that like 2005 era dog in you you're not getting the minutes like i think one of the biggest things with yusuf is that his body language sucks well chauncey takes him out for it there's a lot of culture that we need to develop I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, HBO Hard Knocks is doing in season this year for the Arizona Cardinals, and, and I'm I'm watching every episode. And uh, the Cardinals starting safety Buda Baker is essentially Portland's Wesley Matthews. Josh Hart is the heart of their defense. Kind of runs he's the only the reason wall. he's the only good corner on that team. And he had a gnarly high ankle sprain that was supposed to sideline him for about three weeks. Comes back and plays the next day and or next game and. Of course, the coaching staff is raving about it. And I can't keep but thinking how short-sighted it was to let him play. Of course, he's going to want to play. But like NFL contracts, like they're not guaranteed. No. Like your your careers are shortened. And I just think that mentality, yes, it's great. You want those warriors. But you, you also need to have the staff that says, okay, I, I'm I'm so glad you want to play, but we're, it's not worth it. The Cardinals are like three and eight. They're not doing, they're, they're not doing fucking anything this Did year. Did you see on the complete 180, do you see what uh, the commanders are doing with Chase Young? No. Chase Young is their best player. You 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 saw him in college. Yes, he is their Ohio best player. State. Yeah, he's a bad pick. motherfucker. He hasn't played a single down this year and wants to, but Ron Rivera, their head coach, is like, nah, man. We got to think long, long term with you. So to see a football team and Ron Rivera, who, I mean, he's a gambling man. The reason he stayed so long in Carolina is he went for it on fourth down. But with Chase Young, somebody who could be transcendent in the sport, he's like, dog, I know you want to be here. But what's best for you is to rest to recover that injury. So to see like the most glorified gladiator sport out there and and a guy that is so chancy saying, nah, man, Chase, you are you are the future. That that shows some that's just some high level thinking that I didn't think NFL teams would want to do in a in a, uh, a in a season that's so fast in 17 weeks. And the card, uh, the commanders, excuse me, I'm, I, I liked the football team better, but they they are in the playoffs. Chase w- would really help, but they're not doing it because of the long term effects. So I know I I know we can do it too. Yeah, I just I look no further than three years ago, almost to the day, Rodney Hood tears his Achilles. He is no longer the small forward for the Blazers. He himself is no longer the same player that he was, and. What happened? He he mentioned, hey, I've got some Achilles soreness. He didn't stop playing. The organization didn't stop him from playing. And now his career is completely turned upside down. So there has to be a happy medium between Warriors and, you know, basically resting a, a ton of players. Like there, there, there just has to be because I do get the argument that people are saying, well, everyone's saying everybody in the league's so soft. They they want to take nights off. And I, I understand that aspect as well. I think if you're healthy to play, you should play and maybe skip practice because people do pay money to watch certain athletes perform. But on the other hand, 
you shouldn't also feel obligated to go out there and perform when you're not at your best. Like this mm. isn't the playoffs. This isn't do or die. Like there, there has to be some cost benefit analysis going on here. Right? I think like, our risk management is probably one of the worst in the it's league. Terrible. You, you see teams that are on the other side of like so risk averse. It's crazy. Like the Clippers, for instance, but like, I think we push our players too much to the point where like we're redlining. We're like the Toronto Raptors West. So it's, it's, I I think that long-term thinking is important. I just don't think that we have it in us to do it. Moving on from Damian Lillard's return. I also was incredibly impressed with, with Jeremy Grant Um, really this, this entire week. Um, put up no fewer than 27 points in a single game. Uh, just really looked like a all-star caliber forward. If we're being completely honest, if they're naming the all-stars today, I, I think he has to get one of those 12 spots in the Western Conference. Um, Ant's going to get a lot of pub for his 45-point outburst in Utah. But Jeremy Grant put up 33 points on just 18 shots. Got to the line 14 times. Like, that's... And Jeremy plays defense. That's just something that the Blazers haven't had ever. When's the last time they had a decision-making for? Outside of Damian Lillard in Dame's era, they have not had a player that got to the line as consistent as Jeremy Grant. LaMarcus wasn't getting to the line at that clip. CJ wasn't getting to the line at that clip. And to your your point, I think Nicholas Batum in 2014 is probably the last decision-making forward that the Blazers have had. That's, I mean... It's a long time. Just think about it. Every so 2004, 14, right? So that's eight years. So Damon CJ or Damon Ant have had made every single decision for this team offensively and Yusuf. But like, that's a lot of pressure to put on four players in eight years to be like, every decision is on y'all. Deal with it. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, Jeremy Grant's been awesome, and I I think his offense has been amazing. But that defense is still really, really solid. Like, that's rock solid. And maybe it is because we're in the zone, but he doesn't give up. Though Those certain things that you have to do in a zone, he's doing it. And I I can't say that for any other player on this team that, like, the, the concepts that they do, He's not give like if it's an absolute no, we can't give this up. He's not giving that part up. So like as as much as the offense has been amazing, the defense has been really really good. Like he he's easily one of the best two way players in the game. And shit, it's been a long ass time since we had a guy that was elite and a two way player. Usually it's just offense, but with this guy, he's he's bringing it on both ends. Like he's guarding the best, you know forward player and putting 28 points on efficient shooting that it's it's pretty amazing what he's doing his mid-range dribble pull-up is just so automatic like there are times when he's taking a couple dribbles and he pulls up i'm like ah is that the shot we want and it just it goes in and it consistently goes in like his form is just there's so little movement that the margin for error is higher on his jumper because he is so compact. I mean, we've seen him shoot. I mean, the, every catch and shoot three you think is going in. He has every wing three, I think, is in. 
he has a mean drive too. When he gets ahead of steam and he wants to pack it, like he had a nice dunk against uh, the Pacers that got the bench up. Uh, been been very impressed with with Jeremy Grant. Obviously, and just a think, bit- bro, it's on bad spacing when he's driving. And so he's not. It's not optimal when he's doing that. It is a, bit, a little scary that he is an unrestricted free agent. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I, there are rumors that he's really happy in, in Portland, but he's upping his market right now. Like he is a max player. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, I mean, any fringe level all-star player is getting max money and he might damn well make the all-star game. So he's going to get paid in full. I think the reason I am much more content with that trade, clearly we were both pretty pro draft. I think right now, if you would have, if you have to move Jeremy Grant and he signs an extension somewhere else, I think you can get two first round picks for him easily. Easily, and you only paid the one, so I think he has upped his value. That was a a, a really nice trade uh, by uh, Joe Cronin. Switching gears a bit, uh, Portland was dealt some, some bad news um, in the, the Clipper game. Nasir Little exited in the fourth quarter with a right hip strain. Further imaging revealed a mild femoral head impaction fracture. Nasir is expected to miss the next six weeks. And one good thing, he got his contract extension uh, for the $28 million over four years. But but two, this just continues to be another random injury that no one has heard of that happens to Nasir just early to mid in the season kind of derails any sort of momentum that that he was having or rhythm that he was trying to build up. Uh, Sage, what are are we at the point with Nasir? Clearly he has signed the extension, so you don't have to worry about paying him a, a ton of money, but are we at the point where it's just like, whatever he gives us, we'll take, like we can't expect anything just because the injuries just keep piling up. That's such a shitty way of thinking. But this is year four, but it's, and it's, every it's, year he is. Had, I know, I know. I mean, like, I don't know if you can count on him as part of your core future. Well, isn't the the availability is one of the biggest keys in basketball? Technically, you, doesn't it have to be the biggest key? Like, yeah. you can't produce if you're not available. And it sucks because I really started to believe in his three point shot, and for him to get hurt, like. When I saw the injury, I was like, oh, this isn't that bad. But it's maybe it's like one of those Bo Jackson injuries where he's such an athlete that something that looks minor to us is as devastating as it was to him. I like I, I hate thinking this way, but yeah, I would I would uh he's locked into a very team friendly contract. So I, I don't know. I, I I would like to think that he can get past it, but all the evidence is saying that he gets these random ass injuries and it derails things. So I, I guess you got to, it's like one of those benefits. He's like a, be, like it's the, the cream on top. Not, he's not part of the Sunday. He's part of the whipped cream. And like when we got him, we were so happy about a lotto quality guy falling to us at this pick, but he really hasn't been available enough for us to really utilize him. I really am happy with what he did in the summer to improve on the things that he needed to improve on is just now it has, he has to be healthy or 
his improvement in shooting is worth nothing. Yeah, I, I think at, at this point with Nasir, you kind of just have to hope for the best, but don't really expect too much uh, from him. I think worst case scenario, he's the perfect salary for a trade filler. Uh, the seven million. Is, Do you is think you can get a first for Nasir Little after oh, all of these? No, 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 no. Salary filler, like he's just using to match to to get to it. Let's say you want to put Josh Hart and Nasir, then you can go and get a twenty million dollar player, right? Like that. That's literally his value right now is yeah is, is he even a neutral in i think he's a negative value right think now he's a, given how the salary cap is expected to increase like a seven million dollar player is probably going to be your 10th or 11th player off the bench like if we're but being you want your 10th or 11th player off the bench to play <laughs> i would you like i think he's neutral right now i would i would lean a little negative i mean if this was NBA 2K and you can turn injuries off, that contract might be the best contract in the NBA with what he can do offensively, rebounding, spreading the floor for Dame. It's just real life and injuries fucking suck. The one thing that Nasir has going for him, the Blazers almost have to be willing to wait on him. Because they don't have a first round pick this year if they make the playoffs. They don't have a second round pick. They probably aren't going to have the full mid-level exception. And there is always a, ne- uh, a necessity for six nine wing players who, who can shoot and defend. The way Portland improves is from within. So there there still is a home for Nasir oh, Little of course, yeah. in Portland. So I hope he doesn't get too down. It's just six weeks. I hope he can return, get some playing time, and, and really start to come around for uh, that 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 home stretch. On the other hand, Blazer fans, we're, we're still waiting for our offseason edition, Gary Payton II. And it's becoming kind of eerie. Like, you just feels like you're watching a scary movie and like... You're waiting for that scary part to pop out and just say, ah, gotcha. Like, it feels like we're leading up to that because every time we get an update, it's he's progressing or I'm close. I'm going to be reevaluated in two weeks. I'm looking at something from November 14th on Oregon Live's website. Uh, Apparently, Gary Payton was asked in Charlotte back when they played in middle of November if he would be returning soon. Payton responded, I'm close, close. It was almost a month ago. We we still have we still have no idea. You know what really sucks is we were interviewing two guys for the job or you know Bruce Brown and uh, and Mittens were available and we 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 talked to both. It doesn't help that Bruce Brown's doing really well in Denver and getting paid way less. So it it just like compounds that like all right, we're missing a Gary Payton size hole on our team. And then somebody that could provide that service is doing really, really well for our rival team in Denver. I really hope he can just come in and kill that noise about like all the injury issues and like all the like we we need him to. We need him to play some defense. So, it's just starting to get weird. Like it's starting a- to feel fast to see. Fast as it. I'm like, can we stop signing players from the Warriors? Like for, for real. Because it was the same thing with Festus. Oh, I'm, I'm close. You know, a couple of weeks. And like, 
as a fan, we deserve, we deserve transparency. We pay our, our, our real actual dollars, whether it's to attend a game, whether it's to watch a game, whether it's to buy merch, whatever. We have legit skin invested in this franchise. And I, I think that the team is at the point now where you can't just kind of pull the blanket over our heads and say, oh, we'll pull it off when, when we're ready. No, like we we deserve to know what's kind of going on because all, all everyone, I, I think by not being transparent, that's how rumors get spread. That's and it's how it's getting way worse. <laughs> yeah. That's how, yeah, it's getting worse. That's how theories come out. Like you can control the narrative here, Portland, you can control what goes out and what is being said in the media market. Don't leave it up to people to come up with their own ideas of what's happening. Because... And, and bro, this would be different if it was the 1990s. There's social media. There's people that create twenty four seven coverage. They create clickbait articles for fun, just to get views and shit. Someone that like could just create Gary Payton's not playing this entire year, and it's gonna get traction if they said, "Hey, this is gonna take a long time. He's recovering. It's a it's a long process. We'll keep you updated with information when it comes." I, I think this would have been squash but now people's imaginations are running wild and people can say whatever they want to in this in this social media era so it's like bad risk management portland bad risk management and so speaking of not controlling the narrative it allows me to come on here and give my conspiracy theory now i'm not 100 bodded on this but it's something i haven't heard of and it, it might make a little bit of sense why we're not seeing him out there december 15th is the day when players are signed in the offseason are they to, gonna do it oh, to man. be officially traded have they worked out an agreement with with gp where they're just like we don't need another guard we signed you know we're, we're set are, could they use him as trade fodder for somebody else? Could so another... we we trade our MLE guard for somebody's MLE wing or big, <laughs> or just somebody under contract doesn't necessarily have to be their uh, mid level exception. But again, by not coming out and saying this is what's <laughs> happening, I can now have my mind drift off and say, are they, man, could they really package GP with somebody else and get get us some some wing or big man help? Because we clearly need that yeah. as well. So. I thought you were going to say Keon <laughs> bashed him in the fucking knee, and that's why he's not playing. But Keon's been out for a while. It's kind of weird that Keon's been out for a long time, too. It's, that, it's just, uh, wasn't it a hip injury that's just been questionable yeah. forever? Quite, yeah. So it's a. Uh, he hasn't. It's not like doubtful or out. Like he's at, th- at, at 558 right before the game starts. He's questionable to out. Play, I mean, like. I guess this is just the lack of transparency podcast because it's just a lot of stuff that hasn't been hasn't been nipped. Like, and now you can say your uh, theories. It's like they ain't telling us what's happening, and I get it. Like, don't trans don't talk about everything, but injuries are kind of important. People people got excited for Gary Payton the second, us included. Like I just don't hope. I just hope that it's not a Festus situation. Do you remember how much Festus got paid to not play basketball for us? Eight million dollars. So pretty similar pay structure. Well, uh, 
much less if you account for inflation because eight million dollars like six years ago god that's yeah you're right you're right you're right but still that's a lot of bread for a backup that, that, center first that of all basically put us right up against the tax where yeah. we're like oh what do we so yeah i mean maybe does it does he help this team now that you've seen the blazers 24 games does gary payton the second help this current team as constructed yeah i think so more or less than when we originally signed him in my opinion of what he can in do for your this opinion and if, and what you've seen from the rest of the pieces together all right so let me and you you have to assume that you're talking you're finishing a game dame and ant are going to be two of his guards so you're, you're going to go small like they're not taking out Anthony. no i think that it's not Anthony didn't Damon ain't ant did not affect my opinion. My opinion is swayed because of how much we're playing justice and Josh Hart. So I think that his he won't be able to help as much because of the reliance of Justice Winslow and Josh Hart. Do you think his return would cut back on the reliance of those two players? Because I would say yes. Eventually. I don't think it would be a quick. You're you're you are putting time restrictions on mittens if he when he when he starts playing not an if when he starts playing he's playing in short like four minute spurts kind of like how they play shade and sharp those five minute spurts like you're you're only going to play him for a certain amount of time until he gets like 15 games so maybe in those 15 games he can do show something but i think he might cut justice's minutes which I, th- I, don't I think, think we he... both would agree that's a positive. Hate watching Justice play basketball, so sure. It is a positive in my mind. Hey, Tara, I, I know you just paused this this podcast to uh, curse at me. But um, I, again, I'll, I'll say it before. I like Justice Winslow. I don't like him in this uh, amount of, of dosage. Like he, the Blazer coaching staff is like smacking us over the head with, with Justice. I just need a little bit of Justice. It's just like a little, little, little seasonings. Don't, don't, don't need the whole dish. If justice. I had an option, I'd X him out of the rotation entirely. Hey, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, the one thing about Dame missing all this time is if Dame's out, Justice is way more valuable than what Gary Payton could provide because Justice has ball that, handler. that base level ball handling ability where he can dribble the ball up court and not get it stolen from. I don't think Gary Payton has that ability to do it consistently. No, I, I think I, I think a return for, a, for for Gary Payton, if Dame is healthy, swings this team. But if there's any injuries from our lead initiators, then I think his 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 uh, usefulness is like cut in half because you if you're playing somebody in the guard position, you need to be able to do something with the ball. And Gary Payton has never been able to do been able to do something with the ball when you watched him he was making smart cuts and player movement he wasn't dribbling the ball and making plays except unless it was like that dribble handoff to Steph in the corner so it it depends on who's around us for how uh good he is so you bringing up justice sparked uh, a topic that i wanted to to get to on, on this podcast and it happened the, the very first game of the week. Jeremy Grant 
uh, unfortunately fouls out. Portland is trying to, you know, stave off a, a clipper rally. And instead of ins- inserting Shade and Sharp for some spacing, the, the Blazers had three non-shooters on the floor. Wasn't it four? With, I think Yusuf can can hit it. Yeah, okay. You, you don't, you don't need great. him. Never mind. But then they were also, he took Yusuf out of the game because the, the Clippers they went, small. went small and yeah. Chauncey Billups had no idea how to beat a, a small defense. He got absolutely outcoached uh, by Ty Lue. My, I was so frustrated watching those final minutes and seeing Shaden on the bench because I know he's not shooting the ball particularly well right now, but the defense still respects him. And whenever he comes into a game, that is that is prevalent, whether he's running the break, whether he's cutting or even standing in a corner. Defenses know that he is capable of producing offensive output. Did you see they him are, do some pull? His, his pull-up craft is yeah, good too. They, they it's are, really nice motion. Like defenses are actively inviting Justice Winslow to shoot the three-point shot. And I, I just I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was like, we specifically just talked about this on the last week of Chauncey Billups playing favorites. And you you can't have Amf- every time Anthony poor Anthony Simons like had a hell of a week. But that I, I do not blame him for anything that happened in that Clipper game because I specifically watched every time he had the ball, there was five black jerseys that touched paint. He had a swarm <laughs> of Clippers around him, and they were playing that no paint shit right there. Arguably, your one of your top three best shooters is on the bench. Mm-hmm. I, so to me, that was completely inexcusable. I, I thought Billups lost us that game. I mean, that's. You cannot blow an 18-point lead to the Clippers down Wall, down Leonard, down George. Like, that's – you just and, can't and, – And uh, Luke Kennard, too. And Luke Kennard. Like, you you just can't have that happen. Is that is that a, a second-year mistake? Do you think that's No, he's going to play justice over Shaden Sharp. Or do you think you're, it's just – You're – dog – the pecking order is is justice is much higher than Yusuf and and Shaden Sharp. The only way the justice isn't one of the top dogs is if Gary Payton just absolutely destroys shit. We're going to favor having that third playmaker in on final in the final five minutes over somebody who can shoot. That's just something that we're going to do. And I feel like if Dame and Ant are both healthy and playing in the last five minutes, Justice shouldn't be in there because what he does is he's the best with the ball in a sense. Yeah, you don't need him making plays. Absolutely. He's he's the fifth best playmaker if we're doing Ant, Dame, Justice, Yusuf, Jeremy. He is the fifth best. He's the worst player on uh, on the team at making decisions. Also, can can we can we learn how to take advantage of when teams want to go small? Because Nurk, for the I think for the second game in in as many nights, we talked about Brooklyn Richard Jefferson on their broadcast saying if they just would have dumped it into Nurk, we had no answer for him. Mm-hmm. You have if if you have an advantage in size and you know Nurk with with you know your Dame's out, Jeremy Fowles out, Nurk now moves up to your second best player on the team. 
Like you have to, as a, as an MBA head coach, you are a professional. You have, you have one of 30 jobs worldwide. Shouldn't you be able to figure out a way to get your seven foot center some looks, whether that's flashing him across the middle to break up their zone that they were trying to run late. He can also distribute for others. He's you the have, best passer on the team. And that you have that some given cutters, So it was so just mind numbing and baffling that, okay, let's, they, they tried to post him up once. It didn't work because they fronted and sent help from the rear resulting in a turnover. And they just completely went away from it. It was just such a lack of imagination and creativity from the coaching staff that just really doesn't instill a single bit of confidence in me. In them We're talking forward. about that Clipper game, right? Yeah. Shane Sharp was just chilling in the corner, not getting involved at all. At the same time, we were not giving the ball to Yusuf. Doug, we're, we don't have a good coach. I'm sorry. He's going to have to prove a lot for me to say he's not worse than Terry Stotts. If Terry Stotts had the talent that we have, I feel like we'd be doing much better. I mean, he did win a division championship with a pretty good roster. So we'll, I mean, we'll see. So, I, I mean, I, I, Doug, you can't lose when Musa Diabate is out there just giving you fits. Like Nurkic <laughs> should have taken it to him, but it's, on if you want justice out there as a ball handler, he needs to get the ball to, to Yusuf. Ant needs to get the ball to they have to figure out a way. If, if move Nurk, get him to the middle of the floor, send some movements so he can operate. Like I it's it was just one of the worst coaching performances that that I that I've seen in, in quite some time. I I feel like the real issue with Yusuf is people think. They see a good player in front of them. I think they really do. But there's things that he can do that in our minds is easy fixes. If he just thought before he tried some of those passes, if he just dunked it instead of trying to lay it up in a situation. So you see a B-plus player, and you think that he can be an A really easily, but... You should, just, uh, in my opinion, you should just accept him as a B plus player and be like, "Hey, we have a top ten center. He might not be as consistent as we want. He might not show have the greatest body language that we want. He might throw some silly passes, but he's smart. He knows how to move the ball. There's not that many centers that can do what Yusuf Nurkic does on this team, and it, it's just kind of frustrating to see him." just get taken out by his own team. Like he's probably a top five passer in the league, yet we don't utilize that that much. Yeah, sure. He throws some turnovers, but I feel like every time he throws turnovers, the thought process is there this year. Like, it's not like, what the fuck were you thinking? Yusuf? no, it's like, Oh, you were trying to do a skip pass to the cutter on, on the corner. That's really smart. It didn't work, but you know, it was a good thought process. I, I guess what, just accept the B plus player and move on <laughs> is basically what I'm saying. He's, I think, the 14th or 15th highest paid center in the league. I, I think he's better than that. I think he's a, a top 10 center. I, I know a lot of Blazer fans were absolutely clamoring for, for Miles Turner. And as someone who sat there 
and watch that game last night, I'll tell you he's not an upgrade. I'm not saying he's better or worse than Yusuf Nurkic, but he is not an upgrade. I will tell you one thing. Josh Hart will steal more of his rebounds than he does to Yusuf. That's for goddamn sure. It's it's kind of asinine at this point when when it comes to Yusuf Nurkic. Um, I had to go pick up Olga from um, a work happy hour and it was the the Wednesday. So they were just getting ready to play the Lakers. And, you know, I had the game game going on uh, the pregame show. And they just kind of like of everything that went wrong in the Clipper game, the host decided to talk about Nurkic and the, the lack of finishing. And I, I just feel like that misses the mark so many ways because it, it feels like he is the the whipping boy for this fan base and nothing he does is is ever good enough like uh, i've also perused the forums after games like after the why the do you do game, this shit to yourself my guy like i i just watch the game and don't oh, really no, think I, about blazers I, I, <laughs> oh no i think about blazers and, and ducks like oh hell yeah all the time it's oh boy i get to read some people's bad opinions on the sport i cover <laughs> it makes me feel better about myself there okay. you go <laughs> Nurk goes out there and puts up 19 points, shoots 58% from the field, six boards and four assists, a steal and a block. Does that in less than 28 minutes of action. And people are continuously He missed about a shot. He's trash, bro. Because he missed four this? free throws. Four, he missed four. Big, big fucking deal. Yusuf Nurkic was an absolute presence in that game. Does he shoot the three as well as Miles Turner? No. He's yeah, defender, doesn't though. he now percentage-wise? I'm in, in general, if you <laughs> have know, a three on the line, you're taking Miles Turner. But what I'm saying is Yusuf is, is a beast down low. D- does he dunk as much as we would like? No. But at the same time... You try and put, like lift up a fucking 300-pound, seven-foot man. Dunking isn't easy. <laughs> I, I would say... Even the best centers, Nikola Jokic, two-time MVP, Joel Embiid, perennial MVP candidate, even the creme de la creme of the center position really hasn't been good enough to elevate their teams to a championship status. Like they're kind of peddling out at the second or third round. It's really not that important of a position. So why, why are we trying to put all these resources into getting an elite big when current basketball says an elite big isn't necessary you need those freaks at the fours and the threes to get it done you can win a championship with Yusuf Nurkic as your starting center you don't he's not the problem in fact I think he needs a bigger role on this team he needs to be playing more than 28 minutes a night like he's a solid player who when engaged and involved delivers yes he's going to miss a couple of shots but I think right now everyone is so focused on Yusuf Nurkic missing a shot that's like he misses one. The fans think it's amplified by five and he's missed five. When you look up, it's like, oh, he actually shot seven for 12. You take that well, every single time. And I, I hate to call this person out, but in Nice, like when he was celebrating every, after a win, he was celebrating everybody but Yusuf Nurkic. I was like, bro. He was leading assist guy, leading rebounder, and shot efficiently. Why aren't you mentioning? I don't know if, I, I don't know if I'd call out an OG like that. Sheesh. He he's a Blazers fan that, you know, was like, thank goodness we didn't waste waste a game from 
all of these players and didn't li- list our guy. And I'm like, you're you says not getting the respect he deserves with like <laughs> with with fans. Yusuf, I love you, man. Do you think there's a future for Nurkic in Portland, or do you think there's just too much of a divide between how he sees the game and how Chauncey Billups sees the game? Because I don't think they're on the same page. Oh no, they're not absolutely not on the same page. If I was the coach, if there's thought process by it, I'm almost always fine with mistakes. When I'm not happy about a mistake is when there's not that thought process of like, you know, I'm trying to make a play. I think Yusuf Nurkic is the best player on our team at trying to make a play. I I, I think that goes against what Chauncey Billups wants in a center, but it's plainly obvious that Yusuf and Dame like respect each other's opinions on how to play the game. And I think Anthony and Dame respect the hell out of what Yusuf can provide them with the screens. And then the passing, like wasn't Dame like a few of Dame's first baskets in that game was off a Yusuf Nurkic pass on him cutting off the corner. Like when you talk about screens, I mean, he set some brick walls for Ant in that Utah game and called him the best uh, screen setting big in the business. So you don't get those looks without Without having a seven foot tank Mm -hmm. acting as your barrier between the defender and the ball. Yeah. And I see people saying that Yusuf is not a good defender and it's like, all right, we are the worst team at helping the helper. Yusuf is going to rotate to help whoever's getting beat off the dribble and make a play. The person that isn't helping him out, like, like he, he gets put on these islands where he either has to stay on his man and give up a, a dunk or he rotates and then his man scores because he doesn't get the 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 help he needs defensively. So it's just like a lose-lose situation when he's playing defense unless he's absolutely perfect. Then they're like, "Oh, he's a good defender." But if he doesn't get the help that he deserves or the tools that he needs to, you know, do the job, it's not his fault that he's not getting the help he needs from his teammates. So all I ask is for fans to go back and look at his stats throughout the years in Portland. He is doing exactly in line with what he's done since 2016, 2017. He's given you 15 and 10 on 50% shooting and really good defense. What, what more do you want? Because he's been here now six seasons. This is who he is. He's, he's not any better and he's not any worse. So I, I just kind of want to know where, where did the the expectations, where is this miscommunication in, in value coming in? Because Yusuf has shown us, this is who I am. What, where are, what are fans expecting? He's not Jokic. He's not that play. He's Yusuf Nurkic. He's giving you 15, 10 on 50% shooting and good defense. So I just want to know where this unrealistic expectations kind of got put on his shoulders when he really hasn't had an outlier season like that you could point to and say, oh, no, he's capable of giving us 20 and 15. No, this he's actually how really many centers consistent. are giving you 20 and 15 in this era, too. It's like. I, I he fills every expectation that you need in a starting center quality player. He's not Mason Plumley. He's not the Hornets in their bad centers, he's not the Rockets in their bad defensive centers. He provides a lot of usage and a lot of 
useful things to win basketball games. Like, he's been the best center of the decade for us, so. Been the best center since Sabonis. Yeah, honestly. Like, he, he's a top five Blazer center. And we've been around for 50 plus years. So it's not like it's a young franchise. It's not like we're the New Orleans Pelicans. No, we've had uh, we've had generations of players, and he's one of the best. I don't know. I would, I, I would agree with that. Do you think it's unreal expectations or just like the the familiarity of them? So they so people increase the importance of a single possession in a basketball game that has hundreds of a hundred of possessions. Honestly, I, I just think it's a, a lack of knowledge. I to, to be perfectly honest, when I just brought up his stats right now, I was surprised to see that he's really been that consistent for for six years. I, I, I think we all and maybe it's back to the bubble when he was putting up like 18 and 14, but he only did that for eight games. Like and it wasn't, he wasn't on it, scouting reports. It wasn't, you know, the, the bubble was such a different experience. A lot of players had inflated stats. Um, uh, Warren. Yeah, Jamal Murray. I mean, yeah. shit. So I think you kind of just pinpoint certain plays and, and you think the player has to play like that. And whether he was dunking before, he's not dunking now. The numbers still say the production is in line regardless of whether the ball is being dunked in or laid up, like he's always going to have problems finishing around the rim, but for the most part, he's still shooting 50%. So you kind of take that trade off with the, the distribution and the defense and the offensive post-production that he does give you. So and um, you got to think of, you got, if you're going to, if you're going to bring up the bad plays, think of it as golf. Like the bad plays versus the 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 good plays. If the good plays outnumber the bad plays, he had a good game. I, I think that he's smarter now than he was in Nurk Fever. Nurk Fever, he wasn't making the reads that he is now. Oh, he, he is, is a, a young pup. He's making advanced reads. Like dude's passing. I know he's never gonna be Jokic, but he's in the tier below Jokic. Maybe maybe we're just so guard like us as uh, fans are just so ga- obsessed with guards that the big man's getting, you know, like people see, well, you even said it, they're less valuable now, but you still need a, you still need someone that clears all of the, the things that you need enabled in order to win a championship. So maybe we're just not watching Yusuf play the way we should like back in the nineties, Yusuf would be the the guy that we watch, but now with the excellence of guards and wings in the league, it seems like center isn't as important, but it, it's still very much important. Yeah. Like you look, look no further than, than the blazer guards that don't just watch the ball. Don't just look at box scores to determine how a player played. Anthony and there's Simons, causation for misses. Like if Anthony Walker Simons Kessler's... is not getting 45 points, he's not shooting seven of 12 from three without Yusuf setting those screens, being that role threat. Like it, it's not just that he is a, a large human and sets good screens. The defense also has to respect him as a decision maker and a shot maker. Once he gets the ball in his hands off of the roll, he 
clears enough space for Anthony, who, to his credit, has extended his range. He has a quick release. It, it really is a match made in heaven. I don't think Anthony or Dame would be as effective with a center that didn't set or establish the screening game. As Remember well how annoyed did. Blazer fans were with Hassan Whiteside in, the, in his screen that setting? That was the topic for the whole season, was screen setting. So yes, Blazer fans, you, you know this. You know how important the little details are. And we have a big man that gives us the little details. So just be nice. And no one can say anything about my precious Hassan Whiteside and what he's done for me as a human being. So miss me with the and a Hassan talk. Before we uh, go into the week's games, uh, I would be remiss if we didn't discuss Anthony Simons and giving him his flowers for just the outburst that he had uh, 37 points uh, on 54% shooting against the Clippers. He had 60% shooting against the Jazz, a new career high, 45 points. And made the game-winning defensive play. And, yes, and I want to give him a lot of credit. So... We've been, I think, a little critical of Anthony Simons, but I want to give him credit because he did two things in two separate games. The Utah game, he was blistering hot. I think he had 33 at halftime, something ridiculous like that, and he got going in the the third quarter. The fourth quarter, he did not force it. He could have came in. He could have said, I'm going for 50. I'm going for 60. I'm going to gun it. He didn't do that. He, He took what the defense gave him. Uh, allowed it allowed Jeremy Grant to to really operate. It allowed players like Greg Brown to come in, hit corner threes, dribble all the way to the hoop for for the dunk. Like it, it just allowed for everyone to kind of get theirs. And then coming back home off of the, the win and career high, there could have been a, an angle for him to say, okay, how can I top this now? But I think you combined Dame's return, but with Anthony's growth and maturity and his shot selection was beautiful he only took eight shots or he only took 14 shots he hit eight he was everything was within the flow of the offense um i think that type of back-to-back really instilled some confidence in me in Anthony, and confidence that maybe it it it, it can be a little bit better of a match that than once expected because against Utah, he was needed to be the primary ball handler and, and playmaker and, and offensive uh, force, and he was. But against Indiana, he was part of a big three, part of a big four, where his skill set as a spot-up shooter and coming off of you know curls, that was what was really necessary and allowed Dame to kind of create. So uh, I, I thought it was two really diverse and different outcomes, but both brilliant in, in nature. And I feel like his decision-making, remember when I said he needs to take the early win, like in, in his creation opportunities, when he makes that snap decision, it's the right decision most of the time. So in those games, there weren't as many dribble at East-West for eight seconds and then do something. And when he did do that, he didn't pass it to some teammate. He took the shot, which I think shows some maturity on his part where okay i fucked up this possession i will take the the bump for it i i I think that when he makes that quick decision it it's a win for us offensively whenever he takes that quick decision and either passes it shoots it or, or or dribbles it it's the right decision when it's 
quick and fast. There's only 24 seconds in the shot clock. If he takes that 0.5 to make the decision, it's going to be the right one more than not. So I, I was very impressed with him offensively. And then you saw him defensively at least make the effort to to uh, play pretty good defense. Like Again, he, he stripped it from a guy that has one of the biggest bags in the NBA and Jordan Clarkson in the last second, like that has like, we wouldn't have won that if it wasn't, if he got that clean shot, I think he was making it. I know that I know that he was missing it a lot, but he hit one and he had that, like that, that aura about him that if he took that, there was a very good chance that it was going to make it. So him making that play was really important. So I, th- I think this was a very good week for Anthony Simons and his development as as a basketball player. All right, let's look ahead to the upcoming slate of games. Portland has a contest Thursday, so they get a few days off where they are facing the Denver Nuggets uh, in the Rose City. And then they have the rare home and home uh, where they face the Minnesota Timberwolves twice in the span of, of three days. Let's start with the Denver Nuggets first, Sage. I think it's a team that a lot of people think could be a threat to come out um, of the Western Conference. They're still getting acclimated, uh, returning Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray from significant injuries. Um, they're 14 and 9 on the season. Uh, they've lost two straight. They are, they have played um the most games on the road in the Western Conference. They are just above 500 at eight and seven. And who can forget that game early on in the season? It was game four. Portland ran away from it, 135 to 110. Uh, talk about the Anferno. He went completely nuclear in that third quarter. Anferno is going to be the title of our podcast, by the way. <laughs> ended up with just 29 points, but I felt like all of them came in that third quarter. It was one of the best heaters that I have uh, can remember witnessing in my time as a, a Blazer fan. Um, this is also a stretch for the Blazers with knock on wood. If if they can stay healthy with their starters, that we really haven't seen a healthy Blazers team. Like that's have. something to kind of yeah. keep in mind. Like someone's always been one of their key pieces has always been banged up here or there. So maybe this is time they can start to win seven out of 10, you know, win, you know, consistently win two out of every three game. I think this week really uh, sets up nicely for them with the Nuggets. What are you looking for in this matchup, Sage? Well, I think uh, Joker has done a very good job of trying to get Jamal Murray and Porter Jr. acclimated to the team. And it's been through a humongous haircut of his own uh, statistics and minutes played, where when it was just him, he was playing a lot of minutes and then like being involved in the offense at such a like the an unbelievably high rate. It was like every minute he played, he produced 1.6 statistics, which is incredible. Now he's pushed it to like a 1.2 per minute. So he's taken a really big haircut in order to get Jamal Murray and uh Porter Jr. involved. Um we uh, KCP is still he was he was on such a heater to start the year. Now he's regressed to the mean. Uh, Bruce Brown's been putting up a lot of stats. Bones Highland off the bench has been really good, but uh, it, it, it's the guys that you know about that we have to really stop. Um, it, Porter Junior. Don't give Porter Junior. any space. Like Jamal Murray has actually been putting up some pretty decent stats. 
It, it, it's the big three that we worried about in, De- uh, in in the playoffs in Denver when CJ was blocking shots and uh, we were uh, going to the Western Conference Finals. This is the same team, only older and a little bit more mature. So um, it, it, if they were on that team in the past, they're, they're, they're still pretty damn good. My thinking with this game, whenever it's the Denver Nuggets, Yusuf Nurkic has got to be the X factor. And he really set the tone in that first game. Clearly, we all remember Anthony Simons going off in that third quarter. But it was Yusuf getting Jokic in that early foul trouble Mm -hmm. that threw all sorts of rhythm off for the the two-time MVP. Joker only had like... He had nine points, Mm -hmm. only took four shots. He was riddled in foul trouble. He had five personal fouls, ended up playing just under 27 minutes, and was really a non-factor. So he is clearly the straw that 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 stirs Denver's drink. And I think anything that you can do to mitigate that that kind of their their flow, it has to go with 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 the with the Joker. I think you have to make him play defense. You have to put him in scenarios where he's like, oh, I, I cannot get in foul trouble. And it leads to easy buckets for Nurkic. I think you put him in pick and roll scenarios. Like we talked about when Portland played this team two years ago in the postseason, how they just didn't hunt the bad defenders enough. I, I think whenever MPJ is out there, whenever the uh, the Joker is out there, you have to find ways to really make them feel uncomfortable and attack those matchups. And Portland, I mean, let's make let's make no qualms about this. Portland won this game because they put up 135. They still gave up 110 to the Nuggets with 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 Nikola Jokic scoring nine points. So this Denver team can put up points in a hurry. But how you beat Denver is by exposing them on the defensive end. They're, they're never going to win any championships with this current defensive. I think acumen that, that they have. So Portland, if they're smart offensively and they really work the ball around the thing that was so beautiful about that Pacers game, I think we had like 28 or 32 assists. Mm, was a, the, ball was zipping. the ball was humming around. It was, it was gorgeous. So Yusuf is my X factor. I want to see those assists up and uh, I'm really excited to see that the Blazer guards eat. So I, I'm, we're going to be at the game. I, we, I don't know about you, Sage, but I, I didn't come to to see a loss. The Blazers are going to get this W. So one last thing to say about the uh, the this this game is if Bruce Brown has a really good game, that's what uh that's what mittens can do for a team because those two are the same archetype. So if Bruce Brown is making his presence known, that's what Gary Payton the second can do for us. So. Don't don't be bummed out. Just be ready for uh, Gary Payton the second if if and when he comes. I, I say that the Blazers win. All right, and then we are going to just talk about the Timberwolves as one team, even though they are playing Portland twice. So, in your prediction, either say Blazer sweep, Timberwolves sweep, or or they split one and one. I'm you so- think it's going one and one? I mean, when you play I mean, Carl a team Anthony, that's... Carl Anthony Towns is out for six weeks. Mm-hmm. This is a team that is, I think there's a case for me that they're the most disappointing team in the NBA, given what they gave up for, for Rudy oh, Gobert. Easily. Um, they're, if the playoffs started today, they would be on the outside looking in. Um, 
it's just a team that I do think there's one player that gives Portland that could give Portland fits, and that is Anthony Edwards. Why don't you put uh, his uh his his clone and have the world blow up while they defend and score against each other? But this, I really love how this plays out for Portland because Minnesota has to play the Pacers on Wednesday. Then they fly to Utah for the first of five on the road. They play Utah on Friday. Then they have to come to Portland Saturday. And then they have to play Portland again on, on Monday. This could be a very good schedule week for the Blazers if they can somehow find a way to take care of home court. I thought they finally played a, a good home game against the Pacers. The game was really never in doubt. I would like to see that that same feel from from a game like yes a win is a win but it, it feels different when you win games like indiana versus when you have to kind of get lucky against the spurs so i, I want to see the blazers really attack this team i don't know if minnesota is going to have enough offense w- without towns i think it makes it a whole hell of a lot easier for portland to defend them um how would you attack this this minnesota team with gobert and without towns if we could get Gobert into early foul trouble, and you know he has a he he has the ability to not keep his hands to himself, or so if we could get him into foul trouble and put, I think it's uh Nas Reed on the court. Like if we can get Gobert out of there, there's nobody that's that stops Dame or Ant or Jeremy Grant at the rim at all. So if we could put that pressure on the uh Timberwolves early and often, I think that would be great. I think that. You talked about the person that scares me the most in Amph- uh, in in uh, Ant, but um, I've always been a hater of D'Angelo Russell because he's such a dog shit defender. But what he's been doing as a passer has been really, really incredible. He's been doing a very good job of finding his own bucket and uh, assisting on uh, Ant and uh, Jalen Noel and all those other players. So. If when he is in, we have to put pick and rolls of Nurk and Dame versus uh, uh, D'Lo and and Rudy Gobert. And I think good things happen that way. Um, what scares me and what I think will get us one loss is that uh, Ant Edwards can just go ballistic because I don't think we really have somebody outside of Shaden Sharp, and Shaden Sharp doesn't really play that much to defend him the way that he needs to be defended. He's been affected by the the lack of spacing, but with one big man, you can really create driving lanes for Anthony or for uh, Edwards. And for the longest time, he didn't have a dunk. So if they can create space and have Anthony Edwards cook, that's where I think it could go wrong for the Blazers. And that's why I did a one in one, uh, for the two-game series. I got the Blazers sweeping both. Um, the Thunder just put up 135 on this team. Shea and Shea and Giddy combined for 54 points. Uh, even Dort got into the action at 18. Like th- This is a game where I think the Blazer guards can absolutely have their way, especially if you utilize a lot of pick and roll with Yusuf Nurkic, get Gobert out away from the paint, and then you can find opportunities for Jeremy Grant, who I don't think they have a defender that can really keep up with him. Um, so I, I think one game you're going to have the guards go off. I think the next, I think Jeremy's going to have a big night. 
I, I'm just not impressed with the roster construction of this team. And now you take Towns out of the mix. They've had some chemistry problems with, with the guys. It just, for me to feel good about this Blazer team, they got to get all three. And I think the schedule sets up really favorably for them. Like everyone keeps talking about how difficult the schedule has been up to this point. Schedules pedal, you know, it's lighting up. Like you're coasting a little bit around. Take advantage. Don't have another home week where you're losing to the Brooklyn Nets and the Utah Jazz. Like these games are here. You got to go on the road up until Christmas. So Mm. rest, recuperate. But come out rejuvenated, just like they did against the Pacers. That the leader is back. Dame is there. There is no excuse not to go three and zero in this week. So uh, I, I have the Blazers going three and oh. I have them going uh, two and one. Uh, we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, everywhere that you get your podcasts. We're there, and leave a dope review so we can get this podcast out to more people. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!